Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers Milsonda for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. I also write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors. Hell yeah, you do. And I, do. Um, I, I was at a wedding before this yeah, recording. You were. So yeah, you uh, were. I got a little jump on the booze train. But a, a little jump, shit. I, I think you. I, I get the feeling that you like commandeered your own booze train and then poured booze on it. <laughs> well, before we get to me, what are you drinking, my friend? <laughs> I am. I am the the ladies and gentlemen. Boys this and is girls. by far the biggest the biggest alcohol deficit either of us has had to face when recording a podcast because Scott. I think Scott's feeling pretty good, but we'll get to that. Uh, I haven't drank shit, so uh, and and I guess hey, I'll say that I'll say why as well. Um, I will I will be light about this, but I had a colonoscopy yesterday. Oh, okay. And this this is the first beer I've had since because you're not supposed to do one. You know, I I didn't, so I haven't had a beer in a couple days, including yesterday, even afterwards, because they were like no alcohol tonight. So this is my first drink of alcohol in about uh, two three days. Something oh, like right that. on. Yeah, yeah. So this is Dragon's Milk. It is. Uh, I'm I'm surprised you don't have one, Scott, because it's all over Trader Joe's. That's where I got this. It is a bourbon barrel aged stout by the New Holland Brewing Company in Holland, Michigan. So, uh, mm. yeah, bourbon barrel aged stout. Uh, we will see how it goes here, and it is 11. percent Oh shit! And tw- and 12 ounces. So uh, I don't I don't I may throw something on top of this depending on how it goes here on how big of a gap I have to overcome. Um, and if and if I need to remain sober or at least soberer, but uh, I'm gonna give this a try, and you can tell people what you have been up to uh, or how many wines you have been up to at that wedding. <laughs> well, one of us needs to stay sober, I guess. Um, so yeah, I was at a wedding before this, and um, I had a sculpin uh, to to start. You know, the wedding it was like the table wasn't ready. Uh, the dinner, right? The dinner wasn't ready. And uh, so we're like, okay, we'll chill at the bar and I'll have Sculpin. And they're like, okay, table's ready. And um, a couple of the guests brought like three bottles of wine. And, you know, you pay the uncorking fee and you guys get to share that wine. And um, it was plentiful. It was plentiful. (laughs) It was like fucking Dionysus. Yeah, man. And I was just (laughs) like. Greek pantheon shit. (laughs) Dude, I put a mask on. I murdered a baby. Like whatever else those extremely dionysian yeah you're you you stayed on brand which is yeah, really yeah. important the um, blood hey, trickled down and um yeah oh good this this beer's pretty good and the thing is it's affordable for bourbon barrel aged stouts i think a four pack is maybe like 16 bucks or something like that. oh okay right on bourbon barrel aged stouts usually run substantially more than that um you know for fancy pants shit so but i mean if you can get if you can get 90% of the fancy pants shit at 30% of the price. Why would you not do that? Yeah, so, absolutely. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, we were sticking on the Trader Joe train, and I got a Rada Japanese lager, R-A-I-D-A, and it is from Rolier, R-O-U-L-E-U-R. So they're, yeah, they're really putting it to me today with the spellings here. And it is, yeah. it's only five. It's a five ABV. And that's okay. And, uh, you know, it's a 16-ouncer, so it's going to be nice and plentiful as far as that goes. So um, I'm looking forward to it, you know, having have enough. Have you tried it? Uh, not yet. Let's let's give okay. it a smell. 
Yeah, you you took a photo of this, and I was jealous because I love Japanese rice lagers. I'm assuming that's what this is. Nice and smooth, my friend. Nice and smooth. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes so, you rhyme slow. Sometimes you rhyme quick. Yeah, man. And after uh, four glasses of wine, I don't I don't need much more than five. So I think we're good here. It's yeah, I'm all, enjoying. It's this. all it like needs it. for you to say. Ooh la la ah wee wee. Ooh la la la. All right, my friend. The beer is out of the way. We'll talk about the ratings we give these beers later on in the podcast. Yeah. What was the first thing you did this week? What was the, okay? I, I'm going to go in chronological order. Because chronological order is super important for the two major things I did this week. So it's basically two. Okay. I believe the podcast two weeks ago was the one where I talked about having this old story that I liked. And that I was planning on repurposing that for three protectors. That's one where I talked to Mike and he basically said you can do it as long as you can do it. Even though I had some concerns over the fact that it felt more prose-ish. And less comic book-ish. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm on day, at the time I was on about day eight or nine of Novel November, cranking through. And I was like, okay, I have this fourth character. It's four, again, four POVs. And I have this fourth character I need to figure out a little bit. So then I thought uh, through the fourth character and I'm like, oh my God, wait a minute. That story I was planning on wholly repurposing for three protectors, I can actually split. I can split the character stuff into what I want out of three protectors. But I can split the character's journey out, change the names to protect the innocent, or to simply switch it up. And then have this be a story for the fourth character in my novel. So that's what I did. I immediately just cut that out. I parsed it. And by doing so, I added 8,000 words to my novel instantly. Oh, wow. So what, what that would te- technically mean is that, you know, so as of the day that, that I did that, and then, but then what you have to do is, right, you drop these words into your novel, and now you have to put the new glue in so that it fits the new character. So for about, uh, so what I did was I started to work on that, and I, I morphed it in. So I'm happy to say that, you know, given at the time, given the, um, where I had at the pre-work I had done and the work I'd done in novel November, I stood at about 22,000 words, which is pretty killer. I think that that's uh, 88 pages roughly. Oh, now, now keep in mind, this is like head start shit. I'm, I'm definitely cheating because I walked into novel November with like 34 of those pages, you know, but then you add the time that I wrote with the pages that I dropped in and and I found myself at, uh, you know, a little under uh, 88 pages. And what I liked about this decision is that it it solves the problem that I had discussed a couple episodes ago, which is there's no slow burn anymore. Because now the the part of it I save for three protectors, which is sort of the, let's just call it like part one of the character's evolution. Part one of the character's evolution gets to stay in three protectors, and now it gets to be a nice, clean thing. You get you get a little bit of backstory on the character. You get a little bit of understanding. That's all you need, man. It's comics. You know, like comics don't require the level of backstory that that novels do. In novels, you're here for the words. In comics, you're not really. And I mean, you know, to to give this example again, there are plenty of comics out there that have prose pages. I'm not a fan. 
You know, like I have a few semi-pros pages in like three protectors, but they tend to be a title card kind of equivalent, you know, as opposed to some of these comics where you just turn the page and it's prose or it's a screenplay or it's it's a dialogue transcript and stuff like that. And I'm, I mean, I always appreciate people trying to push the form a little bit in new directions it just generally doesn't work for me because comics are about words and art. And when you drop one of them, you sort of don't have a comic anymore. Yeah. How do you feel about the highest of high writers when they do it? So like a Neil Gaiman or an Alan Moore, is it a little bit more forgiving or do you still kind of go, ah, this is a bit of a chore. I, yeah, my, my answer is, uh, you're my favorite writer. You're one of my favorite writers. That's great. You got lazy. Hmm. You know, that's that's how I feel again. Like you can I'm all for people pushing the genre. But when I see stuff like that, I generally feel like, you know, either you got lazy or you just didn't want to deal with an artist for it. (laughs) You know, so. Yeah, I'm I'm the same. Um, I just don't enjoy it. It's not it's not part of the art form that I grew up with. So for me, it's a it's a chore. You know what I mean? It's just like and honestly, there's been times where I just full on skip it and I'm like oh, I still understand everything that's going on in this story. You beat me to what I was going to say about that too, which is when have you ever regretted passing over it? You never do. And what does that mean? It So what that means is the writer could have cut it. Yes. That's simple, right? It didn't even need to be there. It's the equivalent of reading Lord of the Rings and not wanting to read the fucking rhyming songs that the elves sing. You know, like... That's that's how almost everyone read Lord of the Rings. Oh, and then they sung this song, and it's like yee do 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 do, and it's like three pages of a fucking Elven song, and nobody gives a shit except the <laughs> diehard scholars. Right. So, but but you didn't need it there. It's it's fluff and it's filler. So you beat me to that point. It you it never comes back to haunt you. Therefore, it never needed to be there in the first place. I don't so. know if you skipped it, um, or or you read it. I feel like you did, but when. Reading The Watchmen, I always skipped the pirate story. I was mm-hmm. like, this has nothing to do with what I'm interested in reading in this story. And I would just skip over it. And it wouldn't affect the rest of the story. It was fine. I just knew it I as it. that this is yeah. what the kid was reading. And yeah. whatever, that's that story. But it's like, yeah. I'm, me personally, I'm not here for it. And um, yeah, so I'm just going to pass over it. I didn't skip on it and I enjoyed it. But okay. I also enjoyed it for its own thing. And like again, I can't remember. It's been so long since I read that. I can't remember if it has some kind of significance. Have you seen the movie Nope? Have you seen the movie Nope? No, I have not. I, I've mm. definitely heard about it. and um, But no, I have, unfortunately have, have not. Okay, without giving anything away, there is a B story that runs through that. And as much as I enjoyed the B story, I don't know why it's there. And and I get it. I've I've read a couple people where they're like, well, the director wants to put it in for this reason. It's telling us this. It's telling us that. And it's like it also doesn't have shit to do with the narrative. It really right. doesn't. It's a B yeah. story that that fe- it it's a cool story. It would have made its own cool little thing, but it doesn't feel like it fits with the A story in any way other than purposely awkward glue that makes it fit with the A story. And and I I really did enjoy that movie. I have super high praise for it. I still don't think the B story had much to do with anything. Is that streaming anywhere? I don't know if it is. Okay. I'll, no, I'll I, I don't know if it, it is yet. Yeah. I mean, it might be streaming for money. 
You know, like that's yeah. that's the way I feel about Smile as well. Like uh, I'm I'm ready to pay for Smile just on my couch. You know, what is that what's that? What's Smile? Smile's the one where like the the woman walks around and she just passes people and they all have this fucking smile like they're going like. Oh, oh, that's what like they were advertising at like Dodger games, baseball and stuff, games. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah baseball they had games. that person standing there facing the camera and shit. I, the trailer looks amazing. I mean, I I'm a fan. My family hates horror. There's no way I'm doing anything other than going to that by myself. Therefore, okay. I'll just wait for it to stream in my living room. Okay, right but on. anyway, so to to bring it back to our main thing. Um, it was great to God. I don't even know how we got here, but you know, hey, booze. It's already it's already hitting, and we're we're gonna go. We're gonna meander, people. It's been a part of my life all night. It's been a part of your life all night, and <laughs> I'm gonna have a hard time kind of steering this ship for sure. Uh, but because I love tangents more more than anybody on this planet, basically. But what I liked is I was able to split these things out, repurpose them, and give them their proper homes. And that is where I'm going to leave it because that was the a lot of the work that I did on the novel this week before we get into kind of the paired thing that's going to be the second major thing I did this week. How about you, man? What was your first thing? Something got into me. There's just been so many different things like on the art. Fr- Let me just start on the art front. Okay, so that'll that'll be my first thing. You said you only have like two things this week, right? I only have two things. Okay, so maybe I'll pair a few things. Um, on the art front, I finished another page of Second Shift 13. I'm jamming on it. I feel like my style has adjusted a little bit and it is definitely leaning more cartoony and it's just, it just feels right. And, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like I'm solidifying more like solid blacks on the, on the page. It's like, there's more of a balance between, you know, line art and like spotting blacks. So, um, that's feeling really good. I'm really enjoying the aesthetic that's coming with this new style and mm-hmm. I, if you follow my work and then you see this newest issue, you're like, you, you know, if, if you're a student of the game, I guess, you'll notice it and you might not notice it if you're not. It's like it's it's very subtle changes to what I'm doing, but I feel like overall it's just like I can feel this the shift in my work and, mm-hmm. and uh, second shift, pun. And uh, hey. And, hey uh, now. <laughs> So I'm really enjoying where my my style is going within my work. And um, yeah, so I was able to get another page done and I'm staying on my panel a day and to the point where I'm actually ahead. It's just like, okay, let me uh, let me knock out my panel of the day. Oh, I have some time. Okay, tomorrow's really busy. Let let me knock out. Let me try to knock out tomorrow's panel. Okay, I got 85 percent of the way there. And then so on that busy day, it's just like, okay, I have that 15%. And it's just like, okay, I'll be able to knock that out, no problem. So um, I'm really enjoying that part of my work right now. Things are moving really well. And honestly, I can say that this is dedicated to or in response to um, a weekly art study. And it's something Mm -hmm. that I found online, like randomly, the algorithm gods was like, I'm going to bless your feed with this artist and you're going to take a look at it. And that artist was Akihito Yoshitomi. And he's a manga artist. And uh, he is a... What books does he do? He does. uh, He is most known for works of the series Eat Man, which consists of 19 volumes, and Ray, which consists of 7 volumes. Um, Eat Man and Blue Drop have been adapted into anime series. So this was a this is a guy. He has a YouTube channel, 
And the video that caught my eye was doing a monthly manga in, I believe it was 18 days. So it was a 30-page manga in 18 days. And I was like, oh, this is a very interesting subject. Because you hear, like, being an artist in the States, this is something you hear about all the time. It's just like, oh, these manga artists, every month they have to crank out this, or every week they have to crank out this many pages. And so the video title was doing a 30-page manga in 18 days from start to finish. And I was like, I have to see what this looks like in this video. And it was a good length video. And sure enough, he kind of has the pages running across the top of the screen. And every time he pencils a page, he'll like, it'll change color, right? So like all the letters are one, all the, all the numbers are one color. And then as soon as he finishes penciling one, the, the, the color will change on it. And then as soon as he inks it, the color will change again. And then he'll do the tones and then he'll circle the number and then the color will change again. And then so it kind of keeps track of what he does. And on average, he does about three pages a day. And he shows you him doing them. And it's just like he cuts to the good bits. But it's just like the way it's stitched together, it's like this is clear that this is in one, one, it's one day for sure that he's mm-hmm. doing all this work. And it's interesting watching him do it because it's, it's a more... Um, bouncy around style of the slack method essentially Mm. he's jumping from page to page it's like he'll start penciling a page and it's going really well and there's no slowdown and that's one of the most impressive parts of watching this video is he's just it's not like he's and then you hear this about jack kirby jack kirby wasn't exceptionally fast but he would not get up until he was done with his pages he would sit there and he would work and he would work and he would work and watching this artist uh, Akihito watching watching him work it was the same thing he would sit there and he would pencil and he would pencil and he'd pencil and he'd be like okay I'm done with this page and he'd grab it and he'd put it to the side and he'd grab another page that had some pencil work done on it and then he would pencil and he'd pencil and he'd pencil and then eventually he would start inking and it was just it was magical in the sense of that he wasn't going any faster than most people draw but it was just very consistent. There was no hesitation in his mm-hmm. movements and his line work. He was just going. And that's what you get when you have those 10,000 hours, 10,000 plus mm-hmm. hours. It's just like, yeah, I've been doing this a while. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was yeah. kind of um, refreshing to see because you hear about it all the time. And it almost becomes a myth and it becomes so daunting. But then to watch someone actually do it. You're like, this is obtainable to a degree. I can see how I can do this on my own and just get shit done. And it's just mm-hmm. the matter of watching someone else do it. And, it, and honestly, it's been, it's been a revelation in doing my own work because I'm not so, I'm not thinking so much about what I'm doing because just watching him work, it was like, he's just doing it. He goes, well, I have to draw mm-hmm. this panel. So, okay, let me, what am I draw first? And yeah, there's a lot more hours under his belt, but just seeing him with no hesitation and, and just moving through the work was, was truly inspiring. And, and, um, you know, if you guys listen to this episode and you want to see these videos, then hit me up or just straight up go on YouTube and look up, uh, Akihito Yoshitomi and that's spelled A K I 
H-I-T-O, next word, Y-O-S-H-I-T-O-M-I. If you look that up, he's going to pop up, and you'll see those videos. And they're, they're truly inspiring, and they're definitely worth a watch. And, um, you know, it's, it's a little hard to work and watch them at the same time because, number mm-hmm. one, he's not speaking. And then there's subtitles on the screen. So he's talking about his process as the video goes on. And um, I like to read them. I like to, you know, kind of see what he's talking about or what he's thinking, his thought process. And um, so that's interesting in itself. So definitely worth a watch. And uh, honestly, it's sped up my process. And I feel like I've been on fire ever since. Nice, man. I mean, that's that's cool. It's always cool to see someone work and then have that realization that, like, you know, I'm not that far off. I've definitely felt that when I listen to things like Neil Gaiman talk or, you know, when people say stuff, it's like, no, that's how I think. Like, I just said something really similar. And uh, and it's, it's good. It's good to know that, okay, you know, you're not that different than these people who are masters of the craft or, you know, wildly successful or whatever it is. So that's always neat, man. I mean, I'm sure you learned something, but I'm sure the biggest sounds like the biggest learning was, you know, just keep doing what you're doing and do it, do it without hesitation and keep getting those hours in. Right. Absolutely. Nice, man. So uh, so I will go into my second of two things of the week here, which, again, is a bridge from part one and if you were paying attention in part one you'd notice that my wording was careful i was careful in that i said i had this idea and that i was working on novel november and so the day after so i took two days of like spackling the eight thousand words that i had dumped into the novel and I was sitting around, you know, the the evening of Let's Go with like two nights later. And I'm like, okay, what do I want to do tomorrow? Well, I want to, you know, first things first, I want to write my my words for the second novel. And then second, I think I want to work on the scripts for Three Protectors. But I also had these thoughts in my head of I'd really like to work on the scripts of Kadoja. Because I made a little bit of a change when I was talking to Mike. You know, when I was thinking it through, I, I, I realized... Mike and Kevin, when we were having our, our one of our many invader calls, we were talking about like what's next for me, and I was saying like I have an artist lined up for Kadoja number three. Yeah, the same and artist, as much, yeah, same artist, same okay. artist as number as number two, mm-hmm, Tony. And um, as much as I would like to, you know, get into three protectors and stuff, I don't really have an artist lined up. And I think Kevin was the one who said something like. It's hard for for you to. I can't believe you're willing to put Kadoja down when you're this close to the end. That's what it was, and it's, it's like true. I only I only have two issues of Kadoja till the end, you know. So, and then I thought, well, I'd also like to work on Animals number two, you know, the the second comic of two there. And that's when I had my big realization. I was thinking to myself, like, wow, here I am. I finished my first novel. And comics are still the back burner thing. Novel number two has taken novel number one spot as the thing I must do before I do all other things. So I made the decision right then and there. I'm switching it for the next couple months. So novel November, I threw it out the window. It's Mm. a cool thing. Yay. Yay to do words. Yay to focus on the novel. But what I I realized in that train of thought is that I don't want to focus on the novel. For the last four plus years, almost five years, I have given the the 
freshest burst of creativity every single day to the novel that is now done. And if ever there were a time to give myself back over to comics first and foremost, now is that time. When my not my first novel is done, I am in the process of shopping it around. That shopping could take one day if someone gets back to me tomorrow, and it could take another eight months just, just to try to find an agent or even make a decision whether an agent's going to work with this. So why would I not want to spend time on comics as the first priority and then make the novel the second priority? I'm not priority. I'm not saying I don't want to work on the novel. I'm saying I don't want it to come first. And uh, yeah, that's when I was like, okay, well then, Keith, what you're going to do is you're going to finish. What I want to do is I made the point that I'm going to finish Three Protectors Volume 2 and Three Protectors Volume 3. Both of those scripts, I'm going to do them both now. And I'm also going to do Kadoja number three and number four scripts. And then my Kadoja scripts are going to be done. And then maybe I'll work on Animals number two. I probably will. And the cool thing about that is once I have all those scripts done, then all it's going to come down to is making sure I have the money in place to pay for the artists. The scripts will be completely done. And then and only then will I want to reprioritize novel number two as the first thing I do every day. Is Animals number two, is that the end of that story? It's a two-parter? It's okay. it's the end of the story. It's a two-parter, but it's definitely going to leave itself open to be more and to be a greater thing. Okay. So could there is- could there be an Animals Volume Two? Of course there could. You know, like and again, when we get to the end of Animals Number Two, it's going to be wide open to be taken further if that's what I want to do. But I just wanted to do a two-issue series, leave it there. And either move on to the next thing or not, depending on how it goes. But yes, you'd get nice closure at the end of number two. And then Kadoja volume four is four issues? Four issues, correct. Four issues, okay, cool. Two two of them have, you know, number one is done and in people's hands. Number two is complete, but for the lettering. Three and four need to be written, but I can get those knocked out in the next eight, ten months, whatever. You know, again, I. so what I think I'm going to do is in terms of my own order of operations, I'm going to finish Three Protectors Volume 2, and that leads to what the rest of my week was. I have written 12 pages of script for Three Protectors Volume 2, and Mm. it's going to be somewhere between, you know, 45 and 60. I don't know where it'll end up. But um, I do have some art there to repurpose that's going to be a chunk of it. But I'm, I'm plowing through it. And I'm just saying I want to write three pages of script every single day and more if I am so inclined. And then after Three protect again, in some order, I'm going to do Three Protectors Volume 2, Three Protectors Volume 3, a.k.a. number 3. And then Kadoja's, Kadoja numbers 3 and 4. And then Animals number 2. I just want to knock out all the comics Again, just to make up for lost time and give comics the priority that they haven't had for four plus years. Right on. Wow, it sounds like you're at the home stretch of a lot of your books, if not all of your books. Um, you know, like yeah. Three Protectors, you just really got that train rolling. That first issue just came out not too long ago. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, you're going to start burning into the second volume and then third. Yeah. So, yeah, that's great, man. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, saying that all in one sitting is easy enough to, to say. But mm-hmm. you have so many books to write, and oh, totally. like, and like, and that's the joy of it, though, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's not it's not something you're trying to rush through. You just have a lot of projects that you're trying to go through, and like yeah. being a writer, that's the benefit is you can work on x amount of titles if you're fast enough to do it. All you, mm-hmm. it, it's like Mike was saying with that story. Hey, what do you think about this story? Well, if you can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a matter for a writer to go well four books 
well, if I can do it, I can do it. So, yeah, you know totally, what I mean? Totally. And then if you don't, you have that next month to do it. So if I, Yeah, and if I don't, I'll, I'll go back to the novel a little while. Again, it'll just be a continuation of writing where the heat is. That's what I would like Absolutely. to do. But yes. at the minimum, I know I'm going to finish Three Protectors Volume 2, and then I will probably, depending on how I feel about Volume 2, I'll either jump right into Volume 3 if I'm feeling like I really got a hot hand on it, and if I don't feel like I have a hot hand on it, I'll bounce back to Kadoja number three and write that so I can get that art going in, you know, the first quarter of next year or something like that. And then just keep it moving, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited at some, you know, like there's all these pieces that I want to do, but I am very happy, you know, for, from from the moment I've been cranking through the second novel it's always been like ooh, it's a bit of a slog you know i think i gave molasses mm. as the example from before and so it just i feel i feel much more centered working on comics as my priority for a while and yeah. uh and you know it's it's fun to have all these cool ideas and uh and just want to keep on acting them out so yeah man um, that's it for me man yeah i mean hey writing where the heat is that's the move you know wherever your passion is for in that moment at that moment that's what you want to do. You want to stay where that is. Um, so I got a ton of shit. And uh, so those were your two. So I'm just going to knock these things out. Um, okay. So a while back, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the air. I had a buddy who was a 3D graphic designer. That was the the field he was trying to break into. And he was quite good. Quite, quite good. And um, he also was my neighbor. And he was borrowing my Disney Plus password. And so part, yeah, so part of the barter was, hey, you can use my Disney Plus password, but you have to make me this 3D image of this monster for a future story that I'm going to do. And so he was taking his time. He had the foundation of it done. And... You know, some time went by. I, I don't. I, I don't like to nag people. He had mentioned that, hey, I'm not going to be able to work on this for a couple of months because I ran into a bit of work, and unfortunately, this has got to take priority. And I said, hey, I'm not an unreasonable person. I am definitely cool with that. I understand that. I know creating 3D figures uh, can be a process. It could take quite some time. So I was okay with it. Some time had passed, and I finally hit him back up. Unfortunately, it was way too long because in that time, he completely forgot about the figure and got out of 3D graphic design. It was He was no longer going to do it. And so I'm like, man, I've been letting this dude use my Disney Plus password for basically two and a half years, um, expecting a 3D model, which he never put pulled through. And uh, I was just like, wow, this sucks. So he's still my buddy. So it's not like hey, fuck you, or whatever. Um, it was my own choice to let him borrow the password. So, yeah, hey, that's on me. Um, Ass, but gas, or cash, baby. Yeah. <laughs> one way you're going to pay. Um, mm-hmm. But, so I, I said, hey, man, you got that file? Let me get it. Um, let me see if I can find someone to finish it up. And so he passed it along. And uh, sure enough, I remembered there's this website. And you guys could potentially use it if you need certain things done. There's many things you can get done on this website. It is a art-centric um, website. It's called Fiverr. It is F-I-V-E-R-R. And you can basically hire people to do jobs. So there's different kinds of things. And I looked up 3D imaging. And sure enough, there a lot of people popped up. I found a guy who's in Argentina, much like my colorist. And uh, he was willing to finish the 3D model for 45 bucks. 
Now, I don't know if you guys know math, but Disney Plus is eight ninety nine times two and a half years. Guess what? That's way more than forty five dollars. So <laughs> um, it is what it is. Again, it was my my own uh, you know will free will to let him use that password. So yeah, it, it the economist in me is also saying it, it's also arguably free because you were paying for Disney Plus no matter what. That's true. That's true. But, but, but uh, it is fair for you to say that in terms of value to him, yes, it is nine dollars worth well, of free every single year. Well, yes, I or have, every single month, right? Well, I have YouTube Premium mm-hmm. because my buddy has it. Yeah. But we also divided it amongst the amount of people that split it. So it's like even though we have the real it, answer is somewhere in between the two. Yes, exactly. Yes, it's yes. somewhere it's between a percentage. zero and nine dollars. It's a not eight ninety nine that he was getting for free a month. It was. Eight ninety nine divided by four because there's four yeah. people that use it. So it, d- you know, it doesn't change the fact that you got a really sweet deal for the Argentinian thing to to um to finish shit up. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, forty five bucks. He finished the model within five days, and I was like, "Fuck! I should have been on this site a long time ago. I would have had this figure done uh, a long time ago." And uh, so anyway, after five days, I sent him the designs. He's like, "Yeah, I can do that for forty five bucks." So I was like, "Oh shit! Okay." So he knocked it out five days. Um, within that time, I had already communicated with you, um, and I believe I mentioned this on the last podcast. Um, you have a 3D figure of Kadoja that you have at mm-hmm. the table when you when you go work conventions, and so you gave me the contact contact information for that guy. And mm-hmm. so when I hit him up and I needed I needed I told him exactly what I needed. He was just like, "Yeah, I don't do that. I just print them." And I was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I found the guy on Fiverr, 45 bucks. Five days later, um, I talked to your guy. And I was like, hey, just so you know, found a guy to finish it. He's going to be giving it to me shortly. Um, Monday rolls around Monday morning. That was the deadline. It was the fifth day. I woke up to, hey, it's done. Here you go. Let me know if you need any corrections. I did not. And I hit up your guy. I said, hey, dude, already done. And he goes, send me the file. Let me see if I'm able to do it. So I did. I sent it to him. And um, within two hours, he sent me an image of it 3D printed. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, this mm. is wild. Like, it literally took me two and a half years to get that file from my buddy. Mm. And then five days later, I had an Argentinian create the 3D image. And then I yeah. had your guy create it within two hours of me sending the file. Mm-hmm. And he goes, this is a quick one. It's a quick and dirty one. Yes. Um, I just wanted to see if I was able to do it, if there was any issue. And there wasn't. And he goes, I can do a much longer print and, you know, yada, yada, yada. With more yeah. fill and it's heavier, et cetera. Yeah. Right. It's just going to take longer because mm-hmm. it'll be smoother that way and, and all that yeah. good stuff. And, uh, man, he sent me one that was freaking awesome. And it was exactly what I wanted. And it's basically what I'm going to be using for the Kickstarter. So when I yeah. release this issue um, in probably maybe February – because I'm going to draw it, or February or March, because I'm going to be drawing it at the top of the top of the year. So January, when January rolls around, hopefully I'll be done with Second Shift 13, and I'll be working on the story. And, um, you know, I'm excited because I'm having product made for this story, and I have a lot of ideas on it. And it's nice to know that when the Kickstarter rolls around, that there's going to be a little bit more to offer than what I've offered in previous Kickstarters. It's like, oh, I'm going to actually have a figure... Um, to go along with the story and it's it's super badass 
Yeah, man, that's like hive brain because I'm I'm actually considering having a figure for my next Kadoja for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two. Um, the difference is I have to figure out how to get a render for it, and I'm not sure I'm interested. You know what I mean? Like I'm gonna have to pay an artist to do a, a turnaround for it, and then I'm gonna have to pay to get it rendered in 3D. Well, I'll tell you what. The guy that I used on Fiverr, I was checking out his um, uh, the feedback. And then mm-hmm. so when you leave the feedback, you usually write something. And one of the feedback um, uh, commenters said he did an amazing job at turning a 2D image into a 3D piece. Oh, no shit. Okay. Yeah. Hey, you know the deal. Send me his shit. Absolutely. So uh, there's a good chance that if you send him the pose of Kadoja in the way that you want it and then send him a bunch of images of Kadoja from behind, he's going to be able to figure it out and just put it together for you. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a villain monster, right? That's the thing. I'm going to move to villain monster. I got got Kadoja. Kadoja's Kadoja's a thing. It's just a matter of, A, me choosing the right villain monster to use. Because I did talk to my printer guy about one I wanted to do, but he's like, I don't think this is going to work. You know, Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, in general, I mean, this is just random 3D figure printing kind of stuff. But in general, if you have um, a smaller base, a bigger base and a smaller head, Basically, like a, a a mountain, that's going to be roughly the easiest thing to three D print. Right. So anybody who's seen my Kadoja three D figure, man, that thing is intricate. Kadoja has enormous ape like arms, and that creates the need for like three D printers to create supports just so they can make the arms, right. and then they take the supports away and kind of snap them off. You know, yeah. so. I'm trying to figure out how to combine all the best of both worlds here, like Miley Cyrus, so that I can create like a good 3D figure. But that's another story for another day. Hey, you got a killer figure out of it, and uh, it's going to be showing up soon, and people are going to be able to pledge it in a couple months. So that's very cool. Yeah, man. It's, it's, so, it's so wild that it literally was two and a half years in the making for this figure to show up. And yeah. like it took a combination of two other guys a matter of seven days total to to yeah. make it a reality. And it's just like, yeah, man, just find the right people that are motivated to do it. Like when you have someone, it's a favor, essentially. It's just like the what he was creating 3D models for was well out of my price range. Like he was telling me he was working for um, um, video game companies. And he goes, yeah, I'm creating this gun. And it, it, this is how it works. And like he's he's really smart he's a he's a very clever guy and he goes yeah when you do this this affects this and and because of this the way it's powered you know these things turn and blah 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 blah. it's just all shit all over my head right and but as he was explaining it all made sense and i was like that's what i'm paying for right there but that's kind of not what i need i just need this (laughs) this monster that i created that yeah you know what i mean so um it was like taking time out of his day He's figuring out this complicated shit, and um, it's just like I needed something so so simple that it was kind of in his back burner all the time. But hey, people are trying to make a living and make money, and if you throw money in their hand, they're going to get that shit done. This is one of the reasons that I continually harp on, and I know you happily agree, on paying artists to do stuff. Because if someone is doing something for you for free, or they're collaborating on it, then you need to understand it's probably going to get deprioritized any time that paying work walks in the door. But if you pay them, then you are paying for a prioritization there. 
you know, and there have been many artists where they were willing to do stuff for free. But again, they're willing to do it on their own time, just like you would be if you were doing anything for free or as a favor or as barter or any of that stuff. And an actual paying gig came in the door, you would take it, too. Right. So, you know, just just something to keep in mind. That's why, you know, it. Early on in the game, I insisted on paying artists, and uh, it's worked out well for me the whole time through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got a couple more things. One's a big one, and uh, one's super quick. I'll just knock it out real quick. That Mermaid Commission that I've been talking about for the last few weeks, I printed that out in blue line. I inked it in a matter of a day and a half, and that is all, like, I... I Push the praise to that, all to that that manga artist Akihito uh, Yoshitomi, because I watched that video and the next day I was inking this project just because I needed to get it done. And I was talking to my girlfriend. We got it printed out at night, and I was like, "Man, it's really freaking dark in here. Like we had the light on, but it was kind of like mood lighting light, right? Like over the kitchen table." And I was just like, "This is a bit hard to see." And I was like, "Let me ink these rocks and these brush and and whatever, you know, plants and bush." And um, before we know it, we're just sitting there talking, and she goes, "Wow, you got a lot of that done now." Like just, she goes, you got way more done than I thought you were going to. And I was like, honestly, me too. I didn't realize I was going to ink this much. And I think just watching that video just pumped me up and made me Mm -hmm. realize, hey, you're overthinking shit. And that's something I was thinking as I was inking. I'm like, oh, I was overthinking everything. It's like I put too much pressure on the inking process that it slows you down. Like Mm -hmm. that, and this is a tip for artists. If you can just relax just relax and realize there's no pressure to what you're doing. You know, just be confident in your line. Just relax. Remember that you know how to do this. And if you can put that in the forefront of your mind, when you're inking, it's going to all just like flow out of you. It's going to be super easy. It's going to be super relaxed. And before you know it, you're going to have that piece inked. And so I was able to ink that piece in record time. Um, I'm waiting to hear back from the commissioner because I need to know. It's, It's a very kind of like fantasy style but also old school like japanese style art where it's all kind of of one line Mm -hmm. and um i want to know if that's the style that he wants because that's that's essentially the style that i did it in and it's just like hey if you want some line weight and you want me to pop some images out i can do that but i was like i left it like this because i felt like this is what the piece needs to be but I was like, you let me know. So right now mm-hmm. I'm in a little bit of limbo and I'm waiting to hear back from him. But uh, I was able to knock that out super quick and I was really happy with that. So the big thing, the big thing that happened to me this week was um, I don't want to say the creator's name because I don't want other other artists to blow blow up the spot and kind of like, oh, hey, I heard, you know, you do the critiques or whatever and blah, blah, blah. So I'll just say a famous artist, uh, an artist that I really like. He's a newer artist. Um, he gave me some feedback on my work. I commissioned him and he had, um, said, I I had said, Hey, I don't know if you saw the art, which I know he did because the piece that he did for me, there was stuff that you can only see source. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. He had to, I sent him some images of the character, but there like some of the shot, like some of the parts of his costume. It was like, you had to look through the book, the PDF that I sent you in order to get those. So I asked him, Hey, I don't know if you had a chance to check out the art, but is there any way you can give me a critique? Let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, uh, good, the bad. I, I want to know it all. Mm-hmm. And so I had hit him up a couple of weeks 
And he kept apologizing, hey, I haven't had a chance, I'll try to get to it this weekend. And basically a month to two months had went by and I hadn't heard back. And this morning I was like, I'm going to hit him up. I'm just going to mm-hmm. see what's up and ask him if he's had time. And he got back and he goes, I'm so sorry. I forgot to do it. I'm going to do it right now. And uh, which was great. And then so a little bit of time went by and he goes, is it cool if I draw over your art, if that's OK? I don't want to offend you. And I'm like, absolutely. Of course, please do. And then so he sent me three pages back. And he gave me critiques and, and it was just like, yeah, these are fair critiques. I like them. Thank you. Like I can learn from these. Um, and, and honestly, there were things that I had saw, like one was proportion. Um, Mm -hmm. it was just like, okay. And, and then another one was scaling. It was just like, okay, you know, like when you're, when you have characters in the foreground, the midground, and the background, make sure your scaling's right. You know, it's like this character's little head is a little big. And, Mm -hmm. and honestly, those, the scaling thing, is is tough um and i think a lot of artists struggle with it and then the proportion thing i had already seen i was like god damn i drew his head a little big or i drew her head a little big and um you know he's just like look i i struggle with that too it's tough you know it's something you have to constantly check and you know like so so whatever so he's really cool about that and um one thing was a lettering thing and he showed me a way he goes hey um i saw this page this is more for your letterer but, you know, here, here's this bit of information. He goes, you know, crossing tails, etc. And I was like, honestly, that's perfect. I'm also the letterer. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like his solution was so simple. I was like, how did I not see that? So it was really cool getting this information from him. But he also gave me one piece of information, which was also cool. So hearing the negative, which wasn't that bad, and it was things I had already seen, Mm-hmm. Um, w- was awesome, and I'm glad that he responded. He took the time out and to do the drawovers and everything like that um, was really cool. But one of the positives that he said was, "Your characterization and gesture is absolutely something you do well. I think you can. I think you can tell how a character feels by their gesture. It makes for much stronger storytelling. So that was really great to hear. That was a great positive note." Um, I really appreciated that because that's something I hang my hat on is my storytelling. So mm-hmm. it's just like, hey, I don't always have the splashiest of image on my interior pages because, you know, I love the 90s. But the one thing that I noticed growing up and like, look, I read so many articles. I knew exactly what was going on in those stories. And it wasn't like they weren't always so clear. And there was parts where I had to kind of keep going back and forth to understand what was going on. But overall, I understood what the stories were. But there were also artists out there that just had a clear way of storytelling. And and those I appreciated very much so. So as much as I do love 90s comics, I appreciate clear storytelling. And those didn't always have those. You know, some did, some didn't. Um, but that's something I hang my hat on. And I want to make sure that I'm doing that well. And it's great to hear from a working professional that, hey, your 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 just your characterization and gesture is absolutely something you do well, and that that's great to hear. Yeah, man, it's always nice to have those things because those are the things that are gonna keep you coming back, right? It's the old line in uh, there's a golf movie, Tin Cup, and uh, and it 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 captures the essence of golf very well 
for anybody who's played golf for any you know decent period of time and uh it it hints on the idea that like the the good shots are the ones that keep you coming back man it's just like playing the lottery it's just like winning at the casino man you know the one you don't remember the losses you remember the wins and uh that's why it's nice to have balanced critique and have people actually give you some solid feedback and let you know what you're doing well because you're going to float on that and it's going to give you the desire to attack the weak spots. So I'm. I, that sounds like a really killer way of giving feedback. And it's always nice to know that on the whole, you're on the right track and you can just button up some things and uh, and get even better. Yep, absolutely. Oh, yeah, I'm hosting. I'm not oh. the host, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, all right. That ends the... Um the uh, beginning portion of the podcast where we talk about what we do for work and we're going on the main topic. So um, the main topic for this episode is understanding characters that are different from you. And Keith, this is something you came up with, so I'll let you get this ball rolling. Let me tell the story that led us here and then we're just going to see how long a conversation we have, okay? So in my second novel, I've mentioned on the podcast and in fact earlier in this episode that... I have four POVs that I'm writing in this novel. Two of them are female. So anybody knowing anything, knowing that writing quote unquote the other is always challenging because that's not who you are. You know, now I have a wife and three daughters, so that helps. It helps a ton. But I found myself writing a scene and... I have, I, I'm, I'm writing it from the woman's perspective, right? And so I have a man walk in and I'm like, okay, she finds him attractive. So what I did was I described something she found attractive about him, a physical attribute, okay? And then he walked out of the room, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. Didn't think anything of it when I wrote it. But then I woke up the next day or whatever and I was thinking like, you know, I remember this thing in the back of my head from novel class when I was getting my writer certificate at UCLA in one of the classes. And it was something where a critique of a man writing a female was something like, it was too obvious that it was written by a man. This female character was too obvious he was being written by a man. And I was like, well, what the fuck does that mean? Because I'm a man writing a female character and I need to know this shit. You know what I mean? I need to really figure it out. So I, this happened to be when I was in Vegas a couple weeks ago and, uh, and like I was in this crowded ass restaurant. It was after the Hulu competition. My wife was talking somebody up and I was talking to one of my friends that, uh, that was part of like that Norway trip I went on a couple years ago. So I'm talking to her and, and I was thinking like the thing that was sticking in me was, did I get it right on what women find attractive in men? So the conversation started with me saying, okay, you have a job. (laughs) Okay. Person X. When you see a a man across the room, like, what attracts you to them? And she immediately went into things that were like, well, I like to see if he's confident. I like this. I like that. And what was fascinating to, to me was no physical attributes were mentioned. And I was like, well, yeah, but what about the physical attributes? And then she said something quick about it. Is he tall? Yeah, I didn't think anything out. I didn't think anything of it, right? So then I happened to, okay, I took that note. I was like, okay, that's sort of interesting, but it went in a direction I didn't expect. So I was recounting this conversation to my wife. And my wife was like, well, if only you were married to someone that could give you a woman's perspective, <laughs> you know, because she's like, okay, so you asked a friend of ours, but you're like, where, where's, my, where's my shot? And I'm like, okay, so what do you find attractive? She proceeds to say a lot of the same shit. And I was like, so are you, based on what you're saying and what, what our friend said, 
it sounds like women don't really think much about physical attributes. Like guys think about it's not the forefront for sure. Yeah, it's fucking not right. So like that's that's racing to the end here, you know, and then I happen to bring it up. So now I'm curious. I brought it up to a few other women friends of mine. And sure enough, like that was it. That was the thing. So like now, did you cold it? Did you do it cold with them? Did you not mention the other people's responses? I know what I did was I sort of summarized it. I, so I said, I summarized, I said, okay, I, what I arrived at is that what women find more attractive about men is sort of like essence things, confidence, sense of humor, personality. Those things go a long way. Look, I, I mean, a man can't be but ugly and have all those things, but, but women don't fixate on the physical as an entry point the way men do. Correct. So, so. Uh, anyway, so again, for me, this was revealing because I only think like a man. It's what I am. You know, like General General Cruz in Kadoja has always been married slash separated and comics don't offer this sort of room for like deep character thought. So this is my first turn of females in a novel. Yeah, something I suggest, do a couple of more, you know, keep the information you have now, but don't. Don't give them any other information based sure. off of what other women say. And just mm-hmm. see if it's the same information. If you ask a woman cold, they might not give you the same information that that first person gave you. Sure. So I've I've experienced it just, I don't know, if it's the area that I'm in or whatever. A lot of it is height. Height is one of the number one things that you hear about women. So it's not necessarily physical, but it is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not your looks, yeah. but it's your height. That's that's one yeah. of the first things you hear about. And then, honestly, the second thing is, do they have a job? You know, I mentioned it earlier as a joke, as you were saying what you were saying, as a joke. But it's also the truth. Like, women want to know that you can support them and you could support yourself. Maybe not necessarily support them, but maybe not not support them. You know what I mean? So it's going to be interesting. Ask a couple more. And I'm just curious what that data is going to come back with. I wanted to bring that up. Because I think it's relevant, especially on the writer side. We'll get into the art side a little bit in a second with you. But for the writer side, that that applies everywhere. If if you have a story or a comic or whatever where a police officer is your main character and you don't know any police officers, find out, you know, buy. And, and we've hinted on this in the past, of course, but we're really directly addressing it now. If you have a friend who's a cop, talk to him, right? If you don't have any friends who are cops... Buy a memoir by a cop if it's that important, if it's going to be like the lead character in your book, you know, um, and that that applies to everything. It's about understanding these characters that are not you. You know, you want to write what you know, but the way you expand what you know is by research and by actually talking to people. You know, I was I uh, one of the people in my novel workshop just came back. Uh, she went on a trip to the town where she's setting her novel and she was saying how. And I don't know if this will help other people, but she was like, it's amazing what doors get open when you just say, I'm a writer. Like mm-hmm. they, people don't care. They just, okay, I'm a writer. I'm doing research on this. You know, like, can you, can you tell me a little bit about what you do? And they will, you know, she was saying she got access to a couple places that were closed because she just said, I'm a writer. I, do you mind if I go inside? And they're like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. Go on in. She talked to a couple different people in a couple different vocations about what they did and uh, it was all because she just tried to open a door. And I thought that was really super cool. And yeah. again, it ties into this writing side of like understanding characters different than you, you know, and, and 
making sure because it's 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 a catch-22 right you don't want to write everything from your perspective and to me this is exactly the kind of stuff i should be doing for a second novel for a first novel just like a first comic you want to stay close man you want to be familiar writing a novel is hard period you don't need to make it any harder by trying you know a higher degree of difficulty dives off the board you know but but once you get into second novels you have a first novel behind you you can go a little more greg luganus on this motherfucker you know what i mean like you want to you want to try some harder shit now it's time to stretch yourself it's time to to step outside of yourself and that's where these other perspectives dive in so yeah it was interesting and, and i'm not done but I also think that I've dialed into something here that's going to help me greatly as I get into um, these particular people, right? And uh, and again, that look, that's not speaking for everybody. This is this is three samples among you know what is more than four billion people on the planet. So of course you're not going to get a representative sample. But I think it's there's a matter where you do sort of already. It doesn't take many data points for you to hone into something that's fundamentally different that you can at least dial into going forward. Yeah, you can get that baseline based off of talk to ten people. You know, see what's in common with those ten people, and there you go. There's your baseline. Yeah, um, I'm going to tackle this from a slightly different perspective as far as artists go. Um, when you mentioned this subject matter specifically. Um, you're like, hey, what about this? You know, nothing else beyond essentially the title. And I was like, yeah, I can work with that. I got something mm-hmm. already. And it was me growing up, uh, starting to draw different types of figures. So something I struggled with, and I think a lot of artists struggle with it, is trying to get out of your comfort zone of your generic human that you draw. So if someone says, hey, draw me a man. You're going to draw a man not too dissimilar from yourself. You know, more than likely the features are going to be similar to you, the eye shape, the nose, uh, body type, etc. It's going to be very close to you. So every morning you wake up, you take a look in the mirror and, you know, you look at yourself and you go, yeah, that's that's what that is. If you tell me to draw a man or a woman, that's what, that's what I'm going to draw because that's who I am. That's what I know. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for you to get out of your own way. It's just something we do as artists. So what you need to do is, uh, much like Keith going and talking to people of the opposite sex, trying to figure out, hey, how would I do this well? How do you think compared to how I think? You know, he's going out there, he's getting his information. The way you do that as an artist is you go out and you look at other people. You look at other people's noses, you don't draw just your nose. You draw other people's noses, okay? You draw other people's eye shape. You draw other people's forehead. Head shape is different. Not everyone's head shape is the same. So you're mm-hmm. just going to go and you're going to get as much information as possible. You know, like when I was younger, and, and it's still a, a little difficult. It's not overly difficult. I remember when I was trying to draw like heavy set people, it wouldn't look right. It was like mm-hmm. it was like a skinny person head and neck and then just kind of this bigger barrel-chested body, and it was like, that doesn't seem correct at all. And what you have to do is you have to go out there and you have to study. And, and art is just that way. You The more information that you can go out there and you can pull in from real life, the more you can translate to that your com- to, to your comic books. You don't have to draw every single crest, like a crevice and, and fold and all of that stuff. Like when you're translating it, it's not an exact one-to-one, but you can get a nice representation in there. 
you know, or if, or if, you know, we're a little bit bigger and you don't know how to draw skinny people. Okay. So you have to go out there and you have to draw, find a runner. You know what I mean? Like, like there's just different body types out there. You know, it, as much of an exercise as it is to go and sit in a coffee shop and listen to people's dialogue and to hear how other people talk. They don't, people don't talk the same way you do. Um, you can see how people sit differently than you do. And, and, you know, all of those things. So just go out there, people watch, observe, draw, sketch while you're out there, and you can get an idea of how people look and act differently than you do. Yeah, I mean, that's great. And uh, for some reason, as you were talking, it it unlocked this memory. Again, boy, do I come back to this. No Vaseline comment. The no Vaseline comment, again, like I've mentioned before, it has merit. It was just rude, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but but there was one where he one of the things he said about the lead character was. I get the feeling he shares a lot of traits with you. And uh, and he and he said, I think you're becoming blocked by the fact that you've made him a little too close to you. And honestly, actually, he may not have even said that. He might have just said way ruder shit than that. And then I had to figure out how to turn it into something constructive, you know, but I did. And what I did was I immediately distanced the lead character from me. And maybe I'd heard about it somewhere else again. I don't want to give this comment too much credit because it it sparked the idea. It gave me the idea. But again, sometimes things can be so blunt that you're kind of like, fuck you. You know, that kind right. of thing. And, yeah. uh, and you're like, okay, no, no, no. Be the bigger person. Figure out a way to make this constructive. And so what I did was I made the lead, you know, wildly different um, in age, in appearance, etc. cetera. Um, and it worked. It worked. So that's something I would say, too, that if we're talking about things like a lead character or something like that, and you feel like there's something that's quite not right, and you may have baked a little too much of yourself into it, then switch it up. Remember, you know, Stan Lee said it. I think Scott has said it about his uh, Second Shift book. These characters, they're all extensions of you in one way or another, at least when you start. You know, when you first start out and you're making comics, odds are you're going to just bake different parts of yourself into characters. And then what you're going to do is you're going to branch out and you start gonna, you're, you're going to start baking other people into characters and that helps this kind of otherness of that character and helps you proceed forward with different people with different ways they think bouncing around off each other instead of a bunch of different versions of you oh and and sticking on that critique by by the no vaseline guy i gotta say the the pro that gave me the feedback was a fucking mensch um he was just like hey I hope everything was okay. I hope I didn't offend you. I didn't offend you in any kind of way. If I did, that wasn't my intent. Um, I hope all of this stuff helps you. And yeah. it was just like, dude, of course not. I'm the one that asked you for the critiques. I take no offense. Don't even worry about that. This is all very helpful. And I truly appreciate you taking your time, taking time out of your day, not only to respond to me, but to do the drawovers and talk to me about it. And I truly appreciate it. So yeah, yeah you, 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 there's definitely a right way to do things. And, um, you know, and, and honestly, it's all per person thing. Um, I think there are people out there that like that rough critique and just like that brutal honesty to the point where you're like, God, is this, 
Is this how you really feel about it? I you disagree. Know what I, mean? I, I disagree. I don't know who the fuck likes brutal honesty. Okay. <laughs> um, I do to, I don't like, okay. So no, I don't, I like honesty, but I don't like brutal honesty. You don't need to be a dick about it. Um, yeah, totally. but who knows? Like, Hey, we're not everybody. We don't, we don't know what people are out there. Like people are just raised different and they're used to different things. Um, I'm not one of them. I'm not one that likes that. Um, I like exactly how this guy did it. You know, it mm-hmm. was just like, hey, I don't need you to be that apologetic because I'm the one chasing you down for your feedback. But I appreciated it. And I can just go, don't worry about it, dude. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? He, he gave me the opportunity to go, no, 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 no. I came to you for this. I, I appreciate you, you know. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I appreciated all of it. So, yeah, you don't have to be an asshole about it. So, um, and, and like I've talked about previously on the pod is... When I give feedback on people's uh, portfolios or or books or whatever, if people are asking me for critiques, any kind of uh, insight that I have, I I give the honey before I you know you get this thing. So it was just yeah. like you know it's like hey these are the things that you're doing really well. I think you do this really well. I really enjoy this. Um, this is the stuff that you need to work on. So it's just like look, I don't want to beat you down the whole time. Because it doesn't feel good. Like I, like I know what me personally, I can speak for myself is when you're just getting shit on when you did something, it was a labor of love and you're just getting shit on about it. It's just like, that's no fun. Like, I don't like all of that. But, um, you know, if you can give a little bit of that honey, if you can, you can go, look, you're going to get a sting. But I'm going to give you some sweet stuff first. You know what I mean? Totally. And that, and those are the things that are going to keep you rolling and moving forward and continuing your projects because it's like, okay, I'm not doing everything wrong. There's stuff I need to work on, but um, at least I know I'm doing this stuff right. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll take the Pepsi fucking challenge. If anybody out there <laughs> wants to hit me up, hit me up, hit me up and let me honestly know. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. Making comics podcast at gmail.com. I would love to know if you're the kind of person and again, I'm not I'm not here to challenge it. I'm just curious how many people out there want blunt criticism like that. Like because again, I I I would I could never picture myself giving criticism like that. Right. Um I mean even, you know, like I know Eric even, Larson gives criticism like that. I heard it's pretty rough. <laughs> it's it's still it's still assholeish. You know, like you you don't get a pass because you're famous and you're a rock star. It's still rude. There's there's a thing called decency, and, and I feel yeah. like we should all exercise it because what you want is for people to keep on creating, you know. Um, but anyway, I, I digress. I digress. So yeah, man, I think that was it. I think that was it. So I, I kick it back to you. I think that I think we hit the end of our uh, main topic there. Hopefully, yeah, that absolutely. People. So hopefully that all worked for you guys. You know, like I said, if you guys are artists out there, um, you know, if you look a certain way, find other people out there that are the opposite of the way you look. You know, and you'll get a better understanding of how their um, physiques work, how, you know, the mechanics of their body and all of that stuff works and face structure and whatnot. And that's that's something that's hard to do if you don't really fully understand um, anatomy and and all of those things. So uh, it helps so much to study, to get out there, check out people, draw people and see if you can learn from it. Rock on. Uh, My man, you got any bullshit you got to bring? Because I do. I do. I Let's did. go. I do go have some bullshit. I do have some bullshit. Why? Uh, how many realms of bullshit do you have? You just want to do like a like two? Like I, I can, about I can, two. I, I can yeah. lump my bullshit into two things. Okay, so the first one is generally mail call on some stuff that either I have like sent out into the world and has come back, or stuff that I recently purchased. So I'm just going to lump these three things all together. 
Number one, I finally got one of my Kickstarters back, and it was this bad boy. It's Obey. It's the uh, it's the book about the movie They Live, and it's called oh. They Live: A Cultural and Visual Awakening. I believe it's called. You can get the book on Amazon.com right now, but I got it okay. through Kickstarter. Okay. And uh, it's just a cool thing about They Live and everything that went into it. The film, I'm I'm a huge fan of that film, so it was cool. I you know you know what it is what it is with Kickstarters. You back shit and forget you even did it, mm-hmm. and then like a year later something shows up and you're like, oh how about that? This is pretty cool. I'm glad I got it for myself. You know, so that's thing number one. Um, thing number two, let me let me pull it. Is uh, is book number two came back from my Tinian. So oh right on. Thing. Hell yeah. And here it is. So the signed. Uh, nice. what is it? The the premium cover of Nice House on the Lake, and it it uh it is a nine point eight signed Hell by yeah. Mr. James Tinian and uh the artist who was um uh, Alvaro Mar- Martinez Bueno. Even though uh-huh. this is the the Simmons Martin Simmons cover, uh that was the premium one. But yeah, it was nice to see this come back. So that all got done. And then the final thing uh, I had mentioned this sprawling sci-fi book that I didn't want to mention until I'd gotten them all, and now I have gotten them all. And it is a very killer manga from the 1990s called 2001 Nights. It is very... I haven't seen that on your uh, Instagram. Yeah, I've been I've been just... I've been savoring it, you know what I mean? Like, it's the kind of thing where I could have plowed through it, but the books are pretty thick. I mean, we're talking 60 to 75 pages per volume and 10 volumes, and I like just reading it when I'm in a good mood and um, when I want to savor it. And I'm just slowly making my way through it. And it's so, so good. It's it's quiet. It's dense. It's heady. Not a ton of action, but a ton of like deep thought and introspection and stuff like that. I highly recommend it if that's the kind of thing you like. And uh, yeah, just really, really amazing stuff. I'm only on issue four, and I love it so much. And I'm glad that I revisited it and, uh, and grabbed all the issues. Right on. Um, my bullshit is it took place in the middle of this podcast. So while you were talking, uh, right in the intro of this, uh, probably the, so the first 15 minutes of the podcast, we get on the air, we, uh, we hook up, um, you know, and we're like, okay, we're going to start soon, and we're talking or whatever. I get a notification, in 15 minutes, this auction from eBay is going to come to a conclusion. And oh. I was like, I've been waiting for this auction for seven days. So yeah. while Keith is talking, I'm going to interject and like, expand his part of the conversation so i can fucking pull the trigger on these bitches well played nice (laughs) which i did and i won i won good sir it was daredevil comics uh issues 17 and 19 the golden age golden age daredevil um this issue 17 unfortunately is a coverless issue but 19 is not okay and uh hey if i can get something in the teens from that run that's it's fucking great and i was like all right, I don't really care about 17 because it has no cover. Like, there's there's a value there somewhere, but it's not with me. Like, I'm not into that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But I definitely need issue 19. And um, I was like, what's the most I'm willing to spend on these two issues? Because they're gonna you're going to pay a little bit more for that second issue. Um, and what is it for me? Okay. I need 19. How much is 19 worth? What would that go for just on its own? I'm going to go ahead and say at least 65 bucks because it's, mm-hmm. it's a low number, right? That's the least. That's the least I think it would go for. But right now, money's a little tight. So I'm going to go 56 bucks. Mm-hmm. 56.76 is what I put in. Okay. Got it for $46.87. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. 
So um, that was great. I won that. Uh, another issue off of the list, a low number, anything in the teens is an absolute fucking win. And like to get it for this price point, this is closer to what I was getting these issues for when I first started hunting for these things. It was like, you can get issue 25, which does not have Daredevil on the cover. You can get it for 25 bucks mm-hmm. back, back when I first started. Not anymore. It's like $56 now. So I'm like yeah. kicking myself in the ass. I didn't pull the trigger back then. But I'm glad that I got these issues for that price point. And it's just like, I can somewhat mark 17 off of there. It'll be, uh, I'll need to refill it later on. But it's not something I have to worry about right now. So uh, I'm, I'm super psyched. 4687 for uh, issue 19, uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, you never know how things things are going to go. You know, I happened to look up Fantastic Four 49 a uh, night or two ago, and goddamn it, the prices are essentially flat from when I got mine. And they had been they had been going up for the three months leading up to when I got mine, and I got mine for a really good deal. But like, I could basically get this book for almost the same price right now. Um, as a slab like 5.0 or a couple dollars more or whatever you know so that's just the way the market goes and you know what a year from now everything might go up 30 percent just because reasons so you never know how it's going to work and all you can do is feel good about the purchase when you do it and uh, and see what happens i try not to worry about what i paid at the time based on what it's going for now because you know like you said it's it's like you were happy at the time you got that totally so so why why ruin that moment and go and look to see, you know, it was like, it's like when I sell my Funko Pops that I have no interest in now, mm-hmm. it, it, and like, I'll sell it, right? And then someone will go, oh, man, you could have got this much for it now. It's just like, I don't want to hear it, because mm-hmm. when I sold it, I got a good price point for it. And yeah. like, so it's just like, you don't need to, I don't need to hang out in an area that doesn't matter, because that, that yeah. time has passed, and that, that book has been sold, and, and, and it is, or, you know, purchased, or whatever, yeah. you paid what you paid, and there's no way of getting that difference back, so who gives oh, a yeah. shit about it? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't care in terms of regerts, it's more like I was, I was just seeing if it's gone up yet, it's, it's mm. still sitting here with me, and I still love it as much as I did the day it showed up, you know, so... Um, okay, so time for my second bring the bullshit thing. And this will give people an idea, the basketball fans. That's right. I'm talking basketball motherfuckers. You want to know why? Here's why. I got I got four numbers for you. 59, 11, <laughs> 8, and fucking 7. And that is Joel Embiid's stat line from a few nights ago because he brought it down. And uh, and the Sixers, the Sixers are here. Like, Embiid was hurt. We looked like shit. We lost Harden, and now, like, look, I'm not saying the Sixers are going to go on any kind of tear, but all I know is now I care about watching them again when they're on. I'm st- I still ain't paying for League Pass for them because there are at least eight teams that I would rather watch in the NBA than my own. Um, but, hey, that was neat to see, and it's neat uh, for the I, – I, I was making this joke that, like, the Sixers sucked because the Philadelphia soccer team and baseball team, there's only so much mojo in Philadelphia to go around. And uh, but now that the baseball season's over and soccer's over, uh, the Sixers get to get some of that mojo back. So that's immediately what happened, right? The Phillies lost in the World Series, and then boom, shakalaka! The Sixers are 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 winning some games again, and Embiid's just doing silly Embiid shit again. So stoked to see that. I thought it was just a dope stat line. Never been done in NBA history, apparently. I'm sure there's some kind of threshold he met. Like I know. Um, 
back, you know, I was a Houston Rockets fan when Olajuwon was there, and Olajuwon had a quadruple double one night. But I'm I guarantee that he didn't have a quadruple double with that many points, right? That's that's right. the thing that's the freak thing is that Embiid had 59 points. And you know, I I talked about this. I went to see um, Embiid's final game. He ended up playing in his rookie year when Harden and the Rockets came to town. And I may have mentioned this before on the podcast. This was a couple of years ago. Obviously, I had taken my dad for his birthday. We both happened to be in Philadelphia, and I was like. For your birthday, I'm taking you to the Sixers, you know, and uh, and it was an awesome night, so so fun, and uh, hard and dominated, dude. Uh, and and at the time, I said I thought to myself it was one of the most dominant performances ever because Harden had like let's go with 53 points, and he had like 14 assists or 15 assists, right? And so okay, so I always like using Kobe's 81 as the gold standard, okay. On the night scored eighty. Uh, on the night Kobe scored eighty-one. Scott, how many assists did he have? Fuck, three. It's one or two. I can't remember exactly, but it's one or two. So let's say it's two, right? Even if it's three, that means he accounted for eighty-seven points, right? When I saw Harden and he dropped like whatever it was, let's just say fifty-four or fifty-three and fifteen, he accounted for eighty-three points, man. Like. It's it's a dominant yeah. performance in a different way that rivals Kobe's eighty one points because Absolutely. he didn't score. I told I told yeah. my nephew that um, uh, my nephew I play with a couple of my nephews and my cousin when we play basketball, and uh, one of my nephews is so aggressive. All he, he's like a fucking bull that's seeing red when he's looking at the hoop. He sees nothing mm-hmm. else but the rim, and I tell him like, dude, you have so much gravity that you you should really pay attention because when you when you go into the paint everyone goes to you because they know you want to shoot it i was like but if you just look around there's so many people open and i was like and if you throw them a pass and they hit that bucket that dime is yours and it Mm -hmm. counts it like in my brain it counts as your points if you get if if you dimes are your points you know what I mean? So just like you're saying, like Harden accounted for 87 points, even off of 56 points of his own. But he got how many how many assists? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's like without you, they probably wouldn't have made that shot. Like if you didn't pull yeah. all of the their defenders to you, you know, then then exactly. they don't have a wide open shot. So, yeah, I hear exactly. you. And I and I saw like I watched Harden play that night. Those weren't bullshit assists. Those were like savant assists. You know. By the way, so two quick things. One, um, Embiid with a fifty nine and eleven stat line. That means he accounted for eighty one points. So again, it's a it's a dominant performance that rivals. Or sorry, I guess it would be eight because the eleven are rebounds. But still, it's fifty nine plus sixteen. It's seventy five points. It's it's in the arena of dominance where you've accounted for 75 fucking points, man. Yeah, you know, it's so, um, but yeah, the other thing is when playing pickup ball as someone who prides themselves on defense first and foremost, and is generally playing down low and looking to roam the paint. When I know someone's driving, you best believe I'm going to rotate over and I'm going to, I'm going to eat that thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if I know you don't pass, then all that means is the second I see you break to the goal, I'm coming over. You know, so uh, so anyway, like it's not just your offensive teammates that are waiting for you to pass. The defense knows that you don't pass. And and if they're smart, they're going to figure shit out and and figure out and they're going to solve that pretty quick. Yeah, absolutely. The same night, if it, it was either the same night or the day after um, Anthony Davis went off for 37. Same night. 
Yep, yeah. Same night. And mm-hmm. uh, I was pretty happy about that. We got it rolling. LeBron was out. Russ has been playing great off of the bench. Um, I've been calling for Russ's head for, you know, since the beginning of the since since last season, to be honest with you, ever since he got ever since he got traded there, I was like, this is a terrible idea. He's finally embraced the bench role and he's doing fantastic. He's thriving in it. And it was just like, he's thriving for the very reason that everyone said he would. It was like, dude, you get to run the second unit like it was your unit. And that's mm-hmm. that's what you want to do. You don't want to yeah. be beholden to what Anthony Davis and LeBron are doing. You want to run the show. Okay, how do you run the show? Because you're not going to do that in the starting lineup because you have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Okay, mm-hmm. you run the second unit. And guess, guess the fuck what? You're doing great. You're doing amazing. The team's running better. It's working better because you're coming off the bench. And you're still getting your starter minutes. At the end of the game, you're... It's okay. It's a fluctuation. Sometimes it's 25 minutes, but sometimes it's 35 minutes. So you're mm-hmm. getting starter minutes still, but you're just getting it mostly with the second unit. And then at the end, your defense has been really solid. So you're staying in with the with the starting unit. And that's fine. There's no problems there. So, But yeah. the fact that he's accepted his role and Anthony Davis is finally playing like he did in the bubble. It's like, dude, you're a fucking monster. Show the world that you're a monster and stop being... Yeah. Stop cow- cowing down to lesser talent because mm-hmm. if you wanted to be, you're a top five talent. But he yep. plays, he's a top 20. He's a top 20 mm-hmm. talent most of the nights. But that's that's not going to get it done. You need to be a top five talent. And it's been nice to see him, you know, uh, do that for at least a couple of games so far. And so the hope is he can stay healthy and you know they can get they can start pulling some wins together. I mean, we're terrible right now. It's worth dude, we're 3 and 9 and the fact that the Pelicans own our draft pick is a, a pick swap is what it is. So what that means for the listeners out there who actually give a shit about this or don't know much about it and are interested. Well, we got a couple of listeners that actually like listening to it that know nothing. Gary is one of them. So oh, pick that's right. so the pick swap essentially is they traded a bunch of their players and some draft picks to the Pelicans to get Anthony Davis. One of the elements of those picks were pick swaps. So pick swaps is, hey, if you're worse than us and you get a better draft pick than we do, we're going to swap with you. We take so that pick. Yeah. the Pelicans are playing fantastic. Yeah. And the Lakers are trash. We're in the bottom yes. bottom of the division. And more than likely, we're going to finish at the bottom of the NBA. So we're going to get a very high draft pick. And then the Pelicans are going to take it from us. And then I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, hey, hey, hey. 13 games in, 12 games in. Let's let's not let's not go back. <sighs> Keith, Keith, we're, we're three and nine, brother. It's not getting that much better. Patient. You never know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Patient zero. We're spreading the virus of this shit season. Did you have anything else? I have a bonus bullshit thing. I got nothing else. Okay, so here's my bonus bullshit thing. It's it's holiday season. We're we're getting into holiday season. By the time this airs, we'll be even deeper into holiday season. And uh and I've been thinking a little bit about like music history and stuff, right? So, you know, the when you think about all these charity songs, right? The the songs that benefited people, it all starts with Do They Know It's Christmas, which uh anyone in in the English-speaking world or possibly anywhere else that has access to radio stations or people's playlists or all that shit, you're about to get that song up your asses. 
you know? <laughs> um, and because that, do they know it's Christmas turned into live aid turned into all this stuff, right? It turned into the, uh, we are the world. It became, we are the world. Fun fact, Scott, do you know that there was a heavy metal version of we are the world that came out? Do you remember this at all? I do not. Okay, so I have it on vinyl, and it is. Oh, this should come as no surprise that it is. Uh, it was a charity song. It was done by Ronnie James Dio, and it had like forty heavy metal musicians on it, and it's really good. It, it's uh, it's called uh, either Stars or We're Stars, something like that, and it it has a like a falsetto chorus where it's like We're Stars, right? And it's got <laughs> Rob Halford from Judas Priest. It's got Jeff Tate from Queensrÿche. It sounds like a Dio song circa 1985 because it was like Dio wrote it and then everybody else just came in and chimed in all these parts. But I was like getting deep into trivia and I was like, I found out something really interesting about the song. Do you know what inspired it? Mm -mm. What inspired it was that you should give us five fucking stars on (laughs) Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. That's a true story. Ronnie James Dio, rest in peace, knew this all this time ago. And decided that, like, we need to do a charity song to make sure that the Making podcast, making Comics podcast gets to do it deserves. Yeah, I flipped it on you because I didn't want people to be ready for it. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> and I wasn't ready for it. And it was fantastic. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, and if, anyway. you want, if you want to comment on Keith Swerve, you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Let us know how you felt about that. If you like really rough criticism or uh, anything else. If you want... Uh, us to talk about something and we haven't talked about it you email us there we'll get to it we'll shout you out on the air and then uh yeah then we'll have that episode won't we yeah man and then so for instagram you can find me at keith underscore invader that is me posting pictures quotes stuff about this podcast and of course art from all the books i do and if all you like is giant monsters and you like way less frequency in your posts then you can find me at at kadoja kaiju that is all one word and you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and then Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. You can find me in St. Louis rolling on dubs, oh. but you can also find my website at KeithRFoster.com. That has some stuff on me. Of course, it has this cool little tile of all the Instagram posts that we just talked about. It has a page on three protectors. That is Kung Fu in space. And it has a page on Kadoja, which is giant monsters meet HP Lovecraft. If you have not gotten into those titles, hey, all you have to do is go to that site. You can order those books and you can get them straight from me. And hey, if you want them signed, I'll do that for free. So check it out all you have to do is ask when you fill out the order and i would be happy to oblige or of course i will see you at a convention at some point in 2023 depending on wherever you live and if you want to pick up my books you can go to accidentalaliens.com uh look for second shift a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night or wanders of willows wanders of willows where's the world's are Willow. Scott, Scott got like, you got like dunked underwater for that. Wanders a blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, one of my dogs was barking while I was saying stuff, so it really threw me off. <laughs> three, yeah. Like or Wanders of Melisanda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wanders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans. Uh, you could find those books at accidentalaliens.com. And much like Keith, if you want me to sign them, I will. Uh, we don't have a Patreon. All we do is this podcast, and we give it to you for free. All we ask is for you to pick up our books on our websites or on our Kickstarters when we do run them. So uh, neither one of us have a Kickstarter right now. So, hey, go to our websites, pick up the book, support the podcast. 
and there's there I can't think of a single better Christmas gift than to treat people with treat some minimum Joe wage superheroes. Treat yourself and treat your friends to some minimum wage superheroes, to some anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans, to some giant monsters meet H.P. Lovecraft, and of course, some kung fu in motherfucking space. Nothing says Christmas like those four titles, or nothing says, hey, whatever you celebrate. It can be Hanukkah, it can be Kwanzaa, it can be anything. Exactly. All right, we're going to leave it there. We'll see you guys next week. Yay, yay.